City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome in. You are listening to The Vault. This is our first regular season episode. Uh, joining me, as always, is Chase Whitney. Chase, how are you doing? How have you been enjoying the first week of the NBA season? It's been awesome. The Hornets have had some pretty exciting games already. We're only five games into it so far. Uh, I mean, the rest of the NBA has been pretty awesome, too. Just last night, I was watching the, the Nets and the Mavericks. That was a very good game. Uh, I've, I've, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. Um, how about you, James? What was your first week and a half, I guess, of the NBA season? Yeah, I've not watched anything other than Hornets yet, which is very unlike me because uh, it's been vacation time for me. I've been off work um, and I've been staying with in-laws and, you know, it's not the most sociable thing just to watch, you know, tape of the Orlando Magic and Detroit Pistons while you're trying to socialize with in-laws. So um, I'm hoping to get some other teams in the upcoming week here, but I have managed to watch all the Hornets games. Um, Me and Chase have been holding off from just posting a podcast after game one, game two. I I know it's what the listeners want, right? But I like to try and be a little bit more longer term, not be too knee-jerk reaction-y. You know, we've now got four games under our belt, which feels at least like some that you can start to take some conclusions away. But I think one of the big things, and this is contradicting the entire episode we're going to do today, but I'm going to say anyway, is you shouldn't really take away any statistics really until probably between like, games 12 to 16 that's generally if you look at the trends over the last few seasons that's when the season trends start to line up uh for the whole year so anything that we say today take with a pinch of salt on the other hand um it's always fun to look at stuff early in the season and to look at some of the weird stats that that pop up and i mean the hornets on two and two it's been you know if you listen to kind of our our previous podcast just before the season started with Sam Perley, you know, he was pretty confident they're going to be starting pretty well this year. And they, they've, they've so far, I'd say, exceeded expectations. A good one over the Hawks took care of business against the Spurs and we're right in the game until the Knicks at the very end. And we're, we're in the game at times against the Pelicans too. This is being recorded on Friday. So before the Orlando Magic game, uh, it's probably not going to be publishing until maybe Sunday so uh, I know there'll be another game since then, but hopefully nothing, uh, you know, too uh, eye-popping uh, comes up that we, that we miss in today's episode. But what we've got on the schedule for today is we're going to be looking at uh, doing a bit of an overreactions draft, uh, where we take it in turns drafting some of our kind of own overreactions from what we've seen so far in the first four Hornets games. Then to finish the podcast, we'll have a quick 15-minute segment on uh, some news on Gordon Hayward that you may have missed, uh, which would be quite interesting on some sort of social media activity. And then also the report by Sham Strania of The Athletic uh, on the Lakers' interest in Terry Rozier. So a couple of news items to hit towards the end and kind of newsy trady item, items. But first, we're going to go straight into our overreaction draft. And I've, I've given Chase the first pick for today. Um. So Chase, I want you to give me the your your biggest overreaction that you wanna that you've seen from this Hornets team so far, and and I want you to come in off the top rope. I want you know straight away. I want you to come in big. So I'm gonna let you have the first pick. Give us your biggest overreaction of the season so far. All right. So I want to I'll give you my first one in a second, but I want to say I actually. This was a little harder than I thought it was going to be to, to put one of these together because I feel like we over the last like four or five months when the offseason really started to take a downturn, 
I, I was still like pretty confident that the Hornets would be a good, competent, you know, at least an average team. And that's at, at worst what they've been so far. So to me, there isn't a ton that has happened that was, you know, like unexpected or like out of the ordinary, I would say. But my what? honest, I, I, I told you, I thought this was no. gonna happen. obviously the players being injured is one thing, but they, you're, they're, you're... Two, they're two and two with wins over two teams that, you know, aren't particularly i mean the spurs are not a very good basketball team as we saw in the first game i don't care what happens in, against the other teams after that that are dealing with considerably more locker room turmoil than the hornets are which people have not been uh pay, have given them a, uh, enough credit to for kind of cleaning that up and moving on from the offseason uh in a, a couple weeks span and uh now are just like a rolling through the regular season with whatever guys they have on the court, anybody that goes out there seems to contribute in some way. So, uh, and I, well, that's, I, a, that's a Steve Clifford thing, which we, we talked about over the off season that this might happen. So I, I but, think in the, in the macro with them being two and two, I don't think that is necessarily shocking, but I think who has contributed for them to be two and two. I, I mean, I don't know how anyone could see what what what's happened take place? You know, with Lamelo Ball being out, Terrazier being out, Cody Martin being out. I mean, come on, you can't tell me you saw Theo Maliadon coming in for freaking sixteen points against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden when he wasn't even on the team two weeks ago. So you, you like, I I understand you. I guess you're talking macro, right, in terms of how the the generally Hornets have been overall. Yeah, definitely. But but that actually works out perfectly because that was going to be my overreaction was that Teo Maladon is the, you know, like backup point guard of the future or a point mm. guard of the future on this team. Someone that is a long term member uh, of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I think you have to go backup of the future for it to be officially yeah. an overreaction. I think okay. you, you need to jump in two first back up of the future for the Hornets. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. But yeah, so I he has been very, very good. Obviously, the the Knicks game, he had 15 points, four assists, uh, and a steal, I think. Yeah, and, and a steal. Um, the other games, he didn't really put up as much like box score stats, but it's more about just the way that he uh, doesn't really – he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't compromise anything. He's just out there, looks pretty comfortable, uh, especially as the lead ball handler. You can keep some of the like ball screen stuff. He's a, he's a pretty good passer, so it's not – uh, too much of like a drop off or a change in style from when Lamelo's out there. So I definitely think he has shown enough to give a, more minutes to at least now when the Hornets are down uh, three guards. But I even maybe even when they're all back, I, I don't know how you'd give him regular minutes necessarily. But there could there could be times where you could you could squeeze uh, squeeze him into the rotation there because even when the team's fully healthy, like pure point guard is still like the weakest position on the depth chart it's still i guess dennis smith is probably a point guard uh officially now of with how good he's been passing the ball to start the year the team leader and assists right now as we head oh, yeah. into the we're gonna go on to dennis smith yeah don't, don't but, worry listeners we're gonna get there yeah but in terms of uh like younger depth pieces that you know have always been the traditional lead initiator uh it's really just Lamelo and teo so I'll, I'll go with that that those are the two uh future point guards uh, Tim Aladon, 12th in the NBA in PER, obviously. Um, so, I mean, all, all second team NBA this year, absolute contention. Um, but, but no, like in a, on a serious note, I think Steve Clifford has used the word poise to describe Teo. I mean, he didn't do training camp with the team. Um, he came on, he came in pretty much unexpectedly. I can guarantee that Steve Clifford had not planned for Teo to be in the rotation, but as soon as Teo's ear went down, um, it was almost guaranteed to happen. And for someone who is still a very young player, uh, he's 21 years old, for him to kind of come in and just, he's a, he's come in and like picked up like a vet. You know, if you're 28, 29, and you've been in the year, NBA eight, nine years, I can understand you come into a new team and you just pick it up. But he's really looked pretty accomplished out there, pretty comfortable. He's got one turnover in his two games so far, um, which for in being in a brand new team, with guys that you've basically never been on the floor with before. And the other thing is, it's not like he's playing with the most loaded offensive talent out there when they're those sec some of those second units he's running in at the moment um, with, with some of the key players. I mean, the Hornet starters right now in the backcourt, 
will probably be bench players going forward, like Dennis Smith Jr., Kelly Oubre. Um, so those are the guys Teo's not really getting to play with as much. But I, I completely agree. I think you ha- can't be anything but really thrilled with filling that two-way slot with him so far. Um, and I, again, this just makes me even more excited for Greensboro. Yeah, Kai Jones being able to play with someone like Teo. If hopefully, you know, if, if Teo is playing Greensboro, that means things are going well in Charlotte and people are healthy. Um, so, I mean, I, I've. do you think he's another Bryce McGowan's candidate for uh, being converted off the two-way? Is, is Teo ahead of Bryce now? Uh, I mean, in the in the what have you done for me lately category? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he, he definitely has a leg up in, in that regard. Uh, he fits the, the positional requirements. Maybe instead of uh, longing for Kemba, we were just misplacing all of that. And we should have just been waiting for Teo Maladon to come and, and fill that void. But what is your uh, number one overreaction from these first handful of games so far? Steve Clifford was the best coaching candidate Charlotte could hope for this offseason. I think that might just be the correct take. (laughs) Um, If if we get to to 15 games of a similar uh, like stat profile for this team and win loss record, yeah, that might just be that might just be correct. (laughs) I mean, if you reflect back on the top three was Darvin Ham, Mike D'Antoni, Kenny Atkinson. Um, Darvin Ham is now regretting Darvin Ham is looking up Mitch Kupchak's phone number and being like, Hey Mitch, I, I know I took that Lakers job, but um, any, any chance you want to want to entertain me to come back? Um, you know, he's having a terrible time right now. He's just made the decision to bench Russell Westbrook, which should really be a non news story. And I mean, probably should have happened from day one, but I get why you start the season that way. And you give the guy the chance to, to prove his place, which he's not done. Mike D'Antoni, um, he might be taking over for the Sixers at some point when Doc Rivers gets fired, but right now he still doesn't have a head coaching job. And Kenny Atkinson is, is back at the Warriors, and the Warriors have looked a bit hit and miss here and there. But for this team so far, the, the vibes seem really positive. Um, James Bucknight has spoke glowingly of Steve Clifford. It's not something that has happened about other NBA coach that was in Charlotte previously. Um, and I think what you really see is progress being made in almost every game somewhere on the floor. Um, and you saw, I think, throughout preseason from the, the pretty tough op- for opening few games uh, going on to kind of last preseason game. And you can definitely see some of the kind of the Cliffordisms coming through in this team's play right now. And um, yeah, was Steve Clifford the most high profile coaching uh, candidate out there? No. And I think even when we discussed it, we said the optics are terrible. And on paper, Steve Clifford actually is a pretty good match with what this team needs to do in terms of being better defensively, uh, being a little bit more solid, being more reliable. We, we talk about the... the uh, we, Last season, we talked about it being a roller coaster, right? Do you remember the highs and the lows? The three-game winning streaks, the, then the four-game losing streaks where we get blown out. Um, I feel as Steve Clifford... The roller coaster is turned into a little kiddie coaster of teacups, right? Where you ain't going up and down. You're going to lose some games. You're going to win some games, but you're going to be a little, lot more consistent throughout the way. So, Steve Clifford, um, maybe the the best coaching hire of the offseason right now. So that's my that's my second pick for for overreaction. Wouldn't that be something if that's how it turned out? And at the end of the NBA season, that Steve Clifford was the best coaching hire of this offseason cycle where so many other coaches were clamored for, and not even just by Hornets fans, but by any team that really had a coaching vacancy. Well, that, that last, would be. last Steve Clifford debut season in Charlotte, I believe he finished third in coach of the year voting or second. He was definitely top three in his last first season in Charlotte. So, you know, he's, it's not an unprecedented situation right now. And um, I mean, if, if Steve, if this, team keeps going to be a 500 team this year which is very early but uh he will be absolutely in the he'll get votes for sure for where all the projections were around the nba how low everyone was if if the team can finish around 500 even with the same record as last year i think people give him a lot of credit for that especially with the injuries to start the year all right is it my turn again fire away all right so 
My second overreaction is that the Hornets, which who right now are the number one three-point shooting team by percentage in the NBA, I think they're going to stay that way for the rest of the year. I don't know if the number itself, which is 41.7%, is going to stay at that number. I might go higher. It might go lower. I think that they will stay number one for the rest of the year, or at least in the top three, but I will, I will nail my nail it down and say number one because they've been – obviously they've been scorching hot to start the year. I think Jalen McDaniels is like nine for 12 uh, from three just individually. That's I mean, probably that's not going to keep up. All Hornets podcast bump you get See? for your three-point shooting percentage. The other players need to start coming on here so they can uh, they can get that into the get that into the percentages. And it was so funny because we talked about uh, the corners. You want to know how um, what his corner shooting percentage is this year? Hundred percent. Yep, four for four. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I mean, if he can keep it up and go, you know, like a hundred for one hundred from from the corners this year, uh, that'd probably be pretty good for the Hornets team three point percentage. Uh, I don't think that that's going to happen, but. They're getting... season... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say end of season availability. You know, Jalen McDaniels. What you know? What what motivated you this year? Well, went on a podcast in preseason <laughs> with James and Chase, and they questioned me on my corner three point shooting, and I was just trying to stick it to them every night for each two games. <laughs> they they put it. We put it in his mind, and then now he just he just can't get it out. He's like, I got to make every single corner three. But and but the Hornets are getting three good shooters back. After, I mean, Rozier, presumably the soonest. Cody Martin, we don't really know, I guess, but it doesn't seem like something that's super serious. And then Lamella, we also don't know, but doesn't seem like it's something that's going to keep him out for too much longer. Lamello Ter- and Terry are like border. Terry is an elite shooter. Lamello is like borderline, given how high his percentage is on the volume and the difficulty of shots that he takes. Cody Martin, if he can replicate or even get a little bit close to what he had last year is going to be a great three-point shooting threat on low volume. I can't see how that number gets that too much lower or if, the, if those three guys come back and shoot the level that they have shown the last couple seasons. I don't know. They could, they could, be, they could so, be pretty good. Because PJ, PJ is going to have more volume, and he's a great shooter. And Jalen seems through these first handful of games to be much more like aggressive and comfortable and looking for his own shot. And if those two things keep up while those three guys come back, that's going to be a good recipe, I think, for hitting a lot of threes this year. So one of my overreactions was going to be that the strong statistical start on offense and defense for the Hornets is completely unsustainable. (laughs) There we go. We got two sides of the coin. I like Um, it. Like you said, 43% from three, first in the NBA by a full percentage point. Um, they're also shooting 53% on long mid ranges, which are typically like the lowest percentage shot normally in the, the high thirties. That's, that's like the that. Gordon Hayward bump right there. He, he's been, and, he's been pretty good. In, yeah. um, and Dennis Smith Jr. as well. Good. Dennis Smith Jr. has been kind of good from that like mid range as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kelly Oubre is also 100% from long mid range this year. Talk about yeah. like an oxymoron of a statistic. Absolutely. And then opponents, are shooting 27% from three chase against the Hornets right now, which is definitely going to go up. Um, and that is first in the NBA in terms of like opponent shooting percentage being that low. So there's definitely, like, yes, you credit the Hornets defense, but there is definitely some regression to the mean in terms of opponent positive percentage coming down the road for the Hotshot Hornets. So I think the Hornets are going to shoot worse, even though they're going to get their, some of their better plays back. I think other teams are going to start shooting better. Um, and I think the Hornets are going to be more middle of the pack and not be, I think at the minute they're like a top three offense and a top 15 defense. I imagine they'll kind of be like a, I don't know, somewhere around a top 10 offense and a top 20 defense, something of that nature. Um, hope, hopefully higher on defense if Steve Clifford has anything. Otherwise I'm worried about Steve Clifford's health if they're 20th in defense all year. Cause that's not what Steve Clifford does. Steve Clifford does not like bad defense. I mean, he was apoplectic the other night for the points in the paint against the Knicks. Um, so that was interesting. Um, okay, my next one. And I got some research to go with this one, Chase. Oh, here we go. But the fourth pick, my overreaction is Nick Richards is a top 20 center in the NBA. 
Here we go. That is a good one. I like this is a very good one. Okay, I I'm gonna read a list of names here. And you you just shout if I say anyone here who you think Nick Richards is better than. All right. And so Jonas Valanciunas, Joel Embiid, Jakob Pertl, Jarrett Allen, Nick Vucevic, Mitchell Robinson, Zubac, Gobert, Capella, Aiton, Looney, Hartenstein, Stephen Adams, Nurkic, Lopez, Brooke Lopez, that is, Wendell Carter Jr., Rob Williams, and Brandon Clark. Now, that's 18 names of people who I think Nick Richards... I'd probably give them the, the nudge ahead of Nick Richards, right? I I don't know after that who you're taking ahead of Nick Richards, like right now, in terms of an in-season overreaction from what we've seen so far this year. There's a couple of guys you can maybe say are centers like Christian Wood, Al Horford. I, I kind of more looked at them as power forwards because of just their roles and their teams. So you can, but right now, like you're, I don't know who else you're looking at right now. Um, who you would say is ahead of those guys. Um, like Nick Claxton. I, I think I'd rather have Nick Richards from what I've seen at the start of this year. Claxton's been, been fine. He's been perfectly solid. Um, yeah. So I, Nick Richards, top 20 center in the NBA. He's been just, absolutely exceptional to start the year. He's been a little bit kind of boom bust uh, in terms of his production. He's had two massive games and kind of two okay games, but he's on 13 points, eight rebounds. Um, he's averaging half a block a game, which seems really low considering there's the one, I think it was the Pelicans game where he was absolutely everywhere. And he, you know, he's, he's influenced a ton of shots, um, but he's been really good so far. 22 minutes per game. He's just behind Mason Plumley, who's up at 25 minutes per game. And what's really impressed me with Nick, yes, is the, there's the rebounding, but his screening has been exceptional. I, I've not delved into the screen assist numbers yet, but every time he comes in, like that's what's making Taylor Maladon's and Dennis Smith Jr.'s life so easy because his screening is so good. And I don't think he's given like one offensive foul yet. You know, you heard my preseason rant where he normally has a rebound that goes off his hands, a sloppy turnover, an offensive foul. He really seems to cut a lot of that out in the start of the game, which is which is really exciting to see. And then it's just the finishing around the rim. He's had, I think, one or two flash jumpers, which has been good. A couple of times where he's like at an awkward angle and he's kind of like delicately flipped it in with like a semi-reverse with some English on. Um, so it's not all just been lobs and dunks around the rim. He's shown some real strength on offensive putbacks and, and some craft as well. So Nick Richards right now is looking like the the kind of Avicii Zubac type mold center of just someone who rebounds, block shots, provides good energy, and has real strength and physical presence on the interior. Nick has been awesome so far. If he keeps this up, and this will segue perfectly into one of my other overreactions, I think he'll be the starter by Christmas. I mean, not mm. I, I, not I shouldn't say keep it up. If he can make those good games a little bit more consistent instead of, you know, like you said, kind of alternating between a really good game and then an okay game. If he can just level out at a slightly higher level than what he's at right now, he doesn't need to have 2010 games off the bench. That is perfect. Uh, it's excellent. We'll definitely take it, but he doesn't need to. He just needs to be a reliable big. And like you said, the one the thing that I've been most impressed with so far uh, with him this year is just his consistency in pick and roll actions on both ends. Like he's a great, much better screener than he's been in the past. He's also has seems to have much like more fluid motions when he's coming out of those screens and rolling towards the rim. Uh, he takes up a lot more space on defense now. When he's guarding a pick and roll, he affects shots in ways that other than just blocking them. He's in the right spot a lot more, which I think was probably his biggest problem in the last couple of years was just kind of being caught out of position and being just in a space that he can't affect the shot or block without blocking it. Uh, he, he's been really, really good so far. I've been, I mean, and we were talking about this preseason too, that if there's one guy that could really, you know, take a step forward and the Hornet have really benefit the Hornets, it was probably Nick Richards filling that backup center role because it, it was wide open and he was the guy that was primed to take it. And he seems to be doing that so far. And I think if he can add on a little bit to what he's doing right now, he might be the starter before we know it. Nick Richards on the court right now 
The team has a defensive rating of 99.4 per 100 possessions, which is 97th percentile. That is outstanding. That is elite defensively while Nick Richards is on the court. Um, you didn't speak for long enough for me to be able to look at uh, Mason Plumley, <laughs> So, because I wanted to get that into compare, which I'm going to do uh, any minute now, but this is taking a while to load. But but straight away there, I mean, that just shows the the impact that Nick is having on the court, right? Yeah, I mean, he is, and, and that's something that I think he kind of struggled with in his first couple seasons too. I, I alluded that he just wasn't able to to put himself in position to affect the game. He was always kind of just floating around and not like making mistakes, but just not putting being able to positively impact the game and using the size and athleticism that clearly he's being able to leverage a lot more now, but as, as this year comes right, he has much better hands too, I think. And much stronger. He, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's much going up for the basket. He's much better finisher on non dunks. Like you said, uh, I think he, he's shooting 78% at the rim so far in a small sample size. I mean, th- there's really not been anything that he's done so far that you wouldn't want to see out of a, backup center and they it's it's really nice that the hornets can rely on somebody to give the uh those minutes to in the non mason Plumley minutes i agree and and yeah for some reason on cleaning the glass mason Plumley isn't listed on there yet so they're probably just taking some time loading all the play data on for the season so i so i can't look it up right now but i think one of the things also nick richards right now zero turnovers for the season um and He's talked about playing to his strengths under Steve Clifford and him making his his role really clear. And he saw in that I remember seeing in the G League bubble, especially like he kind of viewed himself as a bit of a oh I can throw backdoor passes from the top of the key. And he did some really nice ones, but like for every one he did, he just turned the ball over as well. And you look back to last uh, December when he was kind of had like a run in the rotation, he was averaging like a, basically a turnover per game. Um, and, and a lot of fouls, which he's also doing better on. So, you know, he's turning the ball over less, um, a lot less. Um, so he's just helping the team play well out there. So keep it up, Nick. Uh, I've seen the nickname flowing around called Big Nick Energy, which I quite, <laughs> which I, which I quite like. Uh, so keep, keep it up, Big Nick Energy. Um, and yeah, we want to see more. And, and like, I think you, you mentioned that was going to be one of your reactions. Nick Richards starting. I've been saying this for a little while now. I, I think Nick Richards could absolutely be the starter, especially if the team continues to struggle to keep teams out the paint, which is a Steve Clifford like core foundation of his style of play. And Nick Richards is doing that to a better level than Mason Plumley right now. Nick Richards, the first player featured on um, John Hollinger's 10 players to watch from the first NBA season's first 10 days article uh, on The Athletic today. So if you have I'm a subscription, you, go check that out. And Dennis Smith Jr. was in there too. So Two Hornets. I think the only team yep. with two players on yeah. this. No, yeah, I, they were. I think that just shows that, you know, again, Steve Clifford getting the best out of guys who everyone writes off every year. And this is, this is the way every single year, Chase. I, I say this, I think, fairly regularly, but it's always the last guy you think will break out for the Hornets. It's always the guy that seems to do it. You know, last year, uh, I think like Cody Martin was, you know, people saying, oh, we might not make the final roster. If you remember, they had like 16 players under contract heading into training camp and they were like, oh, Cody Martin might not make the roster. And Cody Martin ended up being like the sixth man last year after the year before was like borderline, like in the rotation, People like, if he doesn't shoot it this year, he might not be in the NBA. And and now look at him. The year before, I think you had, uh, was that the Devontae Graham year, right? Yep. Um, yeah. Where Devontae Graham just exploded out of absolutely nowhere. Um, it, it, it's always the way. The guy that you expect the, the least from, even Terry Zier, you know, when he had that big year, I know he came in, but no one's expecting him to probably play at the level that he did. Um, it's always the guy that you expect least. They just find out to have a role. Miles Bridges, again, exploded. So it, this is just keeping this uh, the unexpected explosion of a random Hornets player tradition going here with Nick Richards. Um, interested to see who it is next year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's probably somebody that we've either never heard of or have not considered that they'd even be on the roster. So we'll be, we'll be looking out for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, over to you. Fifth pick. What have you got? All right. So, all right, I have two. I have two left. I'm gonna go slowly here to decide which one that I want to share the most. All right, I think I'm gonna go with Gordon Hayward. Ah, damn, I didn't notice until right now that he's what? All right, this the NBA stats pages have not <laughs> leveled out yet because I've seen him at, on certain websites at 20 points, uh, 20.1, and some websites at 19.8 points per game. But either way, we'll go. We'll round up or down. Either way, I think Gordon Hayward will be a 20 point per game scorer for the Hornets this year. If uh, provided that he, you know, plays the requisite games and minutes and all that stuff. But I think, I think that's going to happen too. I, I, that will, that would be part of uh, being a 20 point per game scorer for the year. So that, that'll be my overreaction. He's looked really, really good. I think in the first uh, couple of games so far uh, as a scorer anyway. He's doing everything right now for this Mm -hmm. team and they need it more now because of, um, you know, with other guys being hurt, and right now he's probably drawing like the the primary best defender on the other team, which he probably won't when Rozier, Lamelo back, um, and he'll probably get hopefully some kind of better matchups that he can uh, kind of attack on the interior. Um, you saw against the Hawks, so you remember how last year he always used to try post up Trey Young on the switches, and they just weren't able to get to that action because they don't have the personnel right now. But Gordon Hayward has been like at times. Like I almost wrote that I think Gordon Hayward would be could be the second best player on this team, which would probably be a little bit hot because I think Terry Zier is probably widely viewed as the second best player. And um, but you know Terry Zier also looked exceptional in his first couple of games as well before he got injured, which is a real shame because Terry was was playing really well for those two games. And as soon as you saw that ankle go down, I mean your heart just sank right with with Lamelo being down already, and it was right at the end of the game as well. Um, and then he played out the game and you knew you knew that it was going to be the last time you saw him for a while with the amount of limping he was doing. But yeah, Gordon Hayward's just doing everything for this team right now. Um, and, I've, you know, the four turnovers are a little bit harsh, but like I say, he's getting a lot of focus right now from those uh, opposing opposing teams. But yeah, Gordon Hayward, 20 points per game. They need someone to, to fill the Miles Bridges points, right? So I think his life will get easier as as those other players come back and they lessen the load and he gets more probably catch and shoot opportunities. Yeah, and that that was the one thing that I was going to say is he actually he hasn't been shooting very well from three so far, but mm. he, the consistency with which he's been able to create his own shot on less than like three dribbles. There's so many times where he catches the ball or at, around like the top of the key and just takes like one one to three dribbles with the last one being like a really hard dribble and like a step forward and he leans into the defender and just pulls back and hits like an impossible looking mid-range jump shot and just makes it look so easy. Like he's done that so many times, just even through the first four or five games. Like I, and like you said, when the other guys come back, he won't have to do, it won't have to be that difficult for him. So hopefully that will allow the three point percentage to come up a little bit and, those shots that he's creating will won't won't be like with like two guys collapsing on him or at the very end of the shot clock like every time or something like that. One one thing that's just stuck out to me about Gordon and he gave a really good answer about this in preseason as well is the best scorers in the NBA don't move quickly. They actually move really slowly and mm-hmm. they're really deliberate with their with their footwork, with how they use their body. And you see like Gordon Hayward's screen navigation is so good. He, he always brushes the screen to create separation and get the defender on his back. He, you know, you see guys go too early or they go at the wrong angle so that the defender can slide through. He always goes to the point where he gets the defender on his back. He's got that crab dribble, like footwork to kind of uh, pivot round and get a shot away. It, you know, he always looks like he can get where to wherever he wants to go in that kind of like in-between free throw line area where he's just so dangerous, either making a shot or passing it for others. And I just think that's one thing that like LaMelo Ball could really learn from Gordon. Like just that like slow, almost like you see Luca, how how he plays as well. Mm -hmm. So deliberate with everything he does, but it's not all just like, okay, there's a screen and I'm going to blow past that person and run at the rim and throw something up. It's so much more, you know, he's reacting to what the defense are doing and he can do whatever the defense gives him. Whereas you think sometimes you guys like LaMelo and Terry, 
they're just their idea is like I need to try and get a lip here. I need to. I'm gonna. I'm drop a floater, and they do that no matter if you know they switch, if there's a drop, if two people kind of show hard on him. But Gordon Hayward is just so versatile in his offensive skill set, and just has such a excellent basketball IQ that he can just absolutely pick people apart. Which is I just absolutely love watching Gordon play, and it's a shame we're not been able to do it more for the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it has been. He's been one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA for a long time. I, I like the the slow scores because him mm-hmm. and CJ McCollum, I think, are two uh, two of my favorite players to watch in that in that regard. So I I, I think it's gonna it's gonna keep up too. Okay, I'm up with the fifth pick, and this might this is probably my last one because we touched on some of the other ones I was going to touch on. And All right, yeah, we we can round it out pick. with this one because then it, yeah, we'll round yeah. it out, we'll go back and forth through five. Dennis Smith Jr. is the best backup point guard in Charlotte since Devonta Graham, which is a bit of a letdown. Oh, okay. It's a, I was gonna it's say, a bit of a letdown. I was going to say, if you go earlier than that, we might have a problem here, my friend. I know. Look, okay. I really – I wanted to go Jeremy Lin. Oh, um, okay. So I, I, I figured it would have been somebody like a long time ago, like like DJ Augustine or something. Like, or, like that crossed my mind too. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I like that would have been more fun, right? Because Devonta yeah. Graham was a couple of years ago, <laughs> but yeah. I, I couldn't I, get past I agree, it. Because I agree, though. Yeah, Devonta Graham, you know, was a really good backup point guard for that year in Charlotte. But let's not like beat around the bush. Dennis Smith Jr. was basically out the NBA. There was a quote the other day that um, people have seen online that he was saying that if he doesn't like, if the NBA doesn't work out. Um, he's gonna try and work out to make the NFL. Yeah, like this guy was borderline out the league, and right now he is starting for the Charlotte Hornets. And isn't just filling in and doing like an admirable, admirable job. He's up thirteen and a half points, six assists, uh, two point three steals per game, zero point eight blocks per game. And this is the thing that again really blows me for someone who's like known as quite like a. He was like a wild, unpredictable player at NC State, right? Um, right now, he has 24 assists to four turnovers. You're talking about a fantastic assist-to-turnover ratio. That's with, you know, again, not having as many offensive weapons around him. His feel in the pick and roll, he's had some great feeds inside to Nick Richards, to Mason Plumley. Um, his defense has been exceptional. He's been a two-way player. Um, I, I didn't, you know, get hot takey enough for this draft section to say that, you know, the Hornets are better off with Dennis Smith Jr. and Kelly Oubre starting <laughs> in the backcourt. That, you know, that that would be a, a stretch. That would be an overreaction right now. But um, he looks like more than just a quality backup. And this was a real position of concern. And I think based off the last two track, track years, he had no track record of proving he could play as a rotation point guard in the NBA. And I, I still think the shooting is, I think there's going to be some regression there, right? He's, he's shooting the ball really well right now from three and even from the mid-range. Um, I, like, I just struggle to feel that he's, I struggle to see that he's now all of a sudden just like a good shooter because of how far he was. And also like some of his misses are so bad um, because there's been an air ball or two in there. Um, I think there's going to be some regression there. But even if the shooting does fall off, the creativity and the defense... Um, I think there's a lot to like there. And it goes all now from that backup point guard position being a real weakness. Do you think you've got Dennis Smith Jr., Teo Maladon? Like, and, and the Hornets offense has been fantastic with Dennis Smith Jr. being the, basically like the, the co-primary ball handler with Gordon Hayward. They've always been like sharing ball handler opportunities. So um, yeah, maybe not, maybe not as big a reaction as people might want. I will not disrespect Devonta Grain. This is not a disrespect Devonta Grain podcast, but uh, Dennis Smith Jr. has been a real pleasant surprise, and probably been, along with Nick Richards, like and John Hollinger's article, probably been the, the kind of co-breakout play with Nick so far. Yeah, he definitely has been. We talked about uh, or Nick having good hands earlier, and this is something I, th- I thought about, or that Dennis has been making me think about this year. We don't talk about players having good hands on defense enough like when Mm. he is a help defender his arms which he has a pretty long wingspan by the way he's a much bigger player i think like than he appears to be i think he only listed at six three but when he's out there he plays 
like he's like a wing sized player, kind of in the way that like Michael Carter Williams did uh, when he played under Steve Clifford. Like he he was a, he's bigger than Dennis Smith, but mm-hmm. came up as a as a point guard. But by the time that his career had really settled in, he was basically like a wing defender, like offensive initiator, which I think that Dennis could kind of be that type of player. He has such strong hands when someone drives by him and he like reaches in to swipe at the ball. I feel like he really affects guys when he does that because he's such a like an explosive player. He can cover great. He can take like one big step, like jump in to intercept, like play help defense and kind of intercept the ball handler. He can strip guys. He's done that a couple times this year. Uh, I mean, he he's he's been so good. Like I I saw um, Nada Edwards tweet this and it was like. Steve Clifford getting the most out of an unheralded point guard uh, defensively. Like, how, why are we surprised? And it's like, it's, it's totally right. Like, every time there's a point guard that you wouldn't think is going to be Ramon good. Sessions, Jeremy yeah. Lin. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Carter-Williams, too. Like, he probably fits that bill. Like, Mo Williams? Was that pre-Steve Clifford? I don't know. I think that was Steve Clifford era. I don't know. I don't remember, honestly. Um but yeah, like every every time he's a coach, like he just has a guy that he not that he like makes them better, but it's just the way that he uses them and like the way that he allows them to play on the court in a different way typically than what the what other teams and coaches use them as. Like it really just frees them up to utilize their skills and Dennis seems to be a really big benefactor of that so far. Dennis Smith Jr. deflections per game in the NBA this season. Number one, Nikola Jokic, 4.8. Number two, Anthony Davis, 4.8. Number three, DeJounte Murray, 4.5. Number four, Dennis Smith Jr., 4.5 deflections per game. Tied with DeJounte Murray, just ahead of Fred Van Vliet, Paul George, Darren Fox, Delon Wright, Shea, Jalen Brunson. These are, you know, some of the elite kind of disruptive annoying ball defenders in the NBA. And right now, Dennis Smith Jr. is right there. And also want to say he's playing 28 minutes per game compared to the rest of these guys who are well into the 30s. So, you know, if you look at it per minute right now, he's probably right up there in maybe leading the NBA in total deflections per game. So your eye test there absolutely matches the statistics, which is the things that we love to see. We love to see when our observations are reinforced. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think, like Steve Clifford said at the start of the season, that Terry Rozier would be the backup ball handler behind the melee ball. I think he said, like, while they bring Dennis Smith Jr. along, with the idea being, well, I need some time to adjust and get used. And, and now, like, when the melee ball comes back, it kind of feels like, well, you're going to have to play Dennis Smith Jr. So you're more probably looking at guys like maybe James Bucknight being, having his minutes cut. Cody Martin maybe having his minutes cut down by Terry Rozier. What about if it's let's really tie all these overreactions together here. What if it's Mason Plumley and Nick Richards just gets a boatload of minutes and then they go small and PJ plays at the five. Uh, Jalen McDaniels plays more. JT Thor has who we probably of the players that have been playing. I think P- JT Thor has probably been talked about the least so far yeah. this season, but he hasn't. That's not to say he's been bad. I th- he's been pretty much fine he hasn't he hasn't really gotten in the flow of things offensively which probably contributes to him not getting uh talked about as much and not putting up stats to be talked about but like i what if it's what if it's nick richards getting more minutes and then dennis smith keeping these minutes that he's getting now and then they kind of shift away from mason plumley um who again has really hasn't been bad to start this year like he's he's been fine as well um and then it's, they kind of just shift towards these newer guys that they've acquired under Steve Clifford that they, that Clifford really likes. Um, not to say he doesn't like Mason, but still. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I still haven't seen, you know, he, he, he didn't even try PJ at the five at all in preseason. And that was yeah. one of my preseason lock predictions, if you remember, right? That, yeah, that's um, true, actually. I don't have you see that. Yeah, have, has he? I don't think he's done it in. Not the one minute regular season yet either. Not not, I don't know. Lineup data isn't even really like yeah reliable right now either. But yeah, I was gonna, I don't think we've seen that yet. So maybe that won't happen. But still, there's an yeah. avenue for it for sure. Just on JT Thor, I think you're right. He's he's not put up gaudy numbers, 
And that's why he's not kind of uh, being talked about. But I will say, I do feel like his focus in the game has changed a little bit. I feel like last year when he came in, he was getting up a lot more threes. He was trying to score more. And he was like, I'm going to impact this game by scoring. I feel like this year he's again bought into that Steve Clifford of, I don't need to score to, to kind of make an impact in my eight, 12 minutes per game. Um, like he came in in that one game against the Hawks. He had six rebounds, which was, you know, absolutely like great energy. He's had a block in every game that he's played. Um, you know, he, yeah, you, you want to see that three go down at a better rate. But I, I like his decision-making. I like that he's just focusing on doing little things rather than necessarily trying to score. Um, and I think, like, for a, a role player like JT Thor, I think for right now, for him to be able to get on the floor, I think that's what you want to see. So, I, again, I like what I've seen from JT Thor so far because he's. I think he's buying into being more of a – playing a role within a system – rather than just coming in and being a guy playing kind of, you know, free soloing out there. And I, and I think um, last year through all, like for with how good he was really right away and kind of in the unexpected situation of getting thrown in the rotation because of the COVID and injuries and stuff in the middle of the year, he was like a super, super quote unquote raw prospect coming out of college. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, are bound to be nights where, like you said, like he looks good out there, but it doesn't necessarily all pan out when you reflect and look at the box score afterwards. But I agree. Yeah. Like they're like, there really have not been that many like bad, like moments or players that have not played good games this year. Like they, otherwise they probably wouldn't like, we wouldn't be talking about all of these guys in the way that we have been. But I mean, there, there, there hasn't been much to complain about so far. So I think that concludes our our draft. Uh, did you have another one that you wanted to get to, or you, you? No, we're good. No, yeah, um, we're good. That concludes the draft. Um, just quickly, like out of ten, how are you feeling right now? How how are you feeling, Hornets optimism? Where's it at? We like to say we're a Hornets positive podcast. We didn't always sound that way in the off season and in preseason, but um, where where are you feeling right now? I feel good. I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself like a solid. I'll do like an eight point seven. I'm over an eight and a half, not quite mm. a nine. I feel I feel really good. Like part of it is because I feel slightly validated, um, just because I was like there are good players on this team other than the guy that is no longer here, and Lamelo, and it, that is clearly the case so far. And it wasn't even necessarily the players I was talking about, but. It's still, uh, it's still true for through the first, you know, through the October portion of the season, basically. So well, I'm, it, I'm hoping it keeps up, but I feel good right now. In the official kind of 22-23 record predictions for for AllHornets.com, um, I was the most positive uh, of all the contributors who contribute who submitted their results for kind of the, the overall record predictions, which I was not expecting. And I think I went for 35 and 47. Um, and everyone else is going for 33 wins, 32 wins, 30 wins, 28 wins, 34 wins. Like, so I was the most positive, which I was surprised at. Um, but I, I, again, what I kept coming to is just like one Steve Clifford's track record and two, like, I just don't think this franchise has got rebuilding or tanking or gap in its mind as much as it's been talked about. And as much as I think it might be best for long term, I didn't see it happening. So, um, yeah, would you would you go north of that thirty five wins if I were to give you a mulligan that you could guess right now? Oh yeah, definitely. I think I I, I was I was I think I, I don't know if I ever gave an official prediction on a podcast. I, I don't. I definitely didn't in a written form. But I, I would all summer I was like, this win projection is way, is way too low. Like they're they're going to win more than thirty three games or whatever it is um, that the common over under is for them, but. I, I still do feel that way. They're on. They're on pace for a smooth forty-one and forty-one right now. So we will see how that goes. Okay. To to finish out the show, we're both going to kind of lock in one of our overreactions. For how much we feel most confident will will not just be an overreaction, but will be reality. So I'm going to go first, uh, and then I'm going to get let Chase go go next. Um, the one I think might be most realistic to to stay throughout the season. Um, I think I'm going to go with my very first one, which 
which I, I thought at the time was maybe one of my hottest takes, but maybe it's not. It's that Steve Clifford was the best coaching candidate that Charlotte could have got this offseason. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to lock that one in the vault right now. Chase, hit me up. What have you got? Which is which of your overreactions here are you want to you think is your your most likely to become reality? Hmm. So I will. I was glad. I am glad that you put that one in. I'll be honest. We need the uh, the Steve Clifford takes to be locked in here for the rest of the year. I'm going to lock in the Hornets being the number one three point shooting team in the NBA. That one is, I think, the spiciest, and I feel pretty confident That's that they're going to be a good shooting team. We're going to roll with it. Steve Clifford, Coach of the Year, Charlotte Hornets, number one three-point shooting team in the league. There we go. We can lock them both in. In the words of Peter Schrager, let's go. All right. That's going to bring it to an end for part one of the podcast. We're going to stop for a quick ad break from DraftKings. And after the break, we're going to be coming back, touching on all things The Athletic and the Sham Sharonia article about Terry Rozier. Also, Gordon Hayward's social media activity, a story that you might miss. And just one quick little plug for allhornets.com. Make sure you get over there. Uh, we've had some, some good articles recently, one about Dennis Smith Jr.'s breakout and Nick Richards' breakout. I kind of looked into the, the duality of Hornets fandom and, and the kind of the torn nature that people feel uh, kind of rooting for the Charlotte Hornets right now over the past few years. So make sure you're checking that out. We've also got all your game previews, game recaps, score predictions, post-game videos, um, starting fives, injury updates, everything you want to know, or siallhornets.com. So make sure you go check that out. Um, And yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you on the other side of the break. The NFL action is back and we're in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking about touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down stepped-up same-game parlays once per game all season long. Make sure you dra- download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins and when you place a $5 bet on any football co- game. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility re- restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Thank you as ever to our sponsor, DraftKings. And moving on for the second part of the podcast, a couple of little bits of news that we want to touch on. Uh, brought to One brought to us by Shams, one brought to us by the trolls on Twitter who just, I swear some people, Chase, just go through the likes of NBA players to find out what NBA players have been. I, I don't understand how people find this. Um, but for, for those who don't know and you might have missed it, uh, there was a tweet probably about a week ago now of Gordon Hayward liking a tweet. And it was quite notable what he liked. And essentially the tweet read, and it was by some, I don't even know, some random fan, not by a reputable account or anything, saying, best trade for the Lakers is that Russ trade to the Hornets for Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, and Kelly Ebre. We need wing depth and shooting, we being the Lakers. Buddy Heald and Miles Turner don't fix the wing depth issues and Turner is of the same brand of glass as Anthony Davis. Um, Chase, I guess, what are your thoughts when you saw this? Is this is this anything that people should be worried about? Um, well, yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, I was one of those people that did not see it. Because when you messaged me the material for today's podcast, I was like, what is he even talking about? Like, <laughs> tweet that Gordon Hayward liked. So I just yeah. Googled or uh, searched on Twitter, Googled. I love how that word has just replaced like searching in people's lexicon. But either way, I searched on Twitter, uh, Gordon Hayward Lakers, and that immediately popped up. And uh, the way that the tweet is worded, like just makes me think that there is no way it was like actually Gordon Hayward who liked it. It was probably just like a social media intern, like 
looking at tweets about Gordon Hayward that he was mentioned in and they accidentally liked it or something and just didn't notice uh, in time before people were able to remove it. But uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think Gordon is in control of his social media either. Cause um, his, a lot of his posts in the past are very uh, generic, not, not really worded in ways that uh, you as someone that is like, a, like speaking from the heart, I guess would say. Uh, on social media. I remember one time he, that game he had 40th last year, I think it was against the Spurs, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, was he, it against the Hawks? Oh, I, th- I think it was. Yeah. I think it might've been the Hawks. I think you're right. But, uh, but either way, he tweeted like the, his account tweeted after the game was like good team win or something with an exclamation point, just something like really nice. And Terry Rozier quote tweeted it and was like, this is how I know that you don't run your own social media. You had 40 tonight, and you're tweeting good team win, like, that it's, which is so funny, and I, he probably has a pretty good point. Like, if you had 40, you'd be tweeting, like, the highlight reel that the Hornets posted of you being like, Gordon Hayward drops 40, and then, like, a barrage of mid-range jumpers. Just a team-first like guy, Chase. Just team-first guy. See, and he, no is. matter what, he could score 100, and he's going to tweet. Great yeah. win, guys! Exclamation point with the handshaking emoji. No matter what. So you you might have missed the Gordon Hayward little like tweet news, but I mean, what a great pull that is to pull that back from last year because that's very important context. I think as to this, which I had not remembered. So so well done for that. I I think you're right. You've hit the nail on the head. The likelihood that this was actually Gordon Hayward, I think, is very low. Um, I, I will say like fire whoever you got running your social media. <laughs> I mean, you're literally like, this is such a rookie error. For, if you've got one job to like manage an NBA player's social media account, is like, don't post anything which is going to end up you painting the player in the bad light. Like, it, it's not hard. That's your job, right? You don't have to worry about anything else to put food on the table. You just have to not make the NBA player look stupid. And you just like to tweet linking Gordon Hayward to the Lakers. Um, but... Yeah, the interesting thing is, I think Gordon Hayward runs his Instagram because Gordon on Instagram has done some polls and he's done some videos with his wife, Robin. And like, he seems to be, it feels much more genuine, more like a kind of Gordon Hayward style. And you're, you're right, they're like, it's a bit like, I don't know, do you have TikTok and Instagram? Like, you, you don't update all these things equally. You normally have a platform that you feel more drawn to. And I think Gordon Hayward runs his own Instagram and probably there's someone else doing his Facebook and Twitter pages just to keep those things ticking over, right? So I agree with you. I think it's pretty unlikely. I will say, I mean, in the world, like, tell me how many players in the NBA maybe wouldn't want to play in LA? Like, <laughs> yeah, even, right. if it, even if it was Gordon Hayward, sure, you shouldn't be going out there liking things, but it's not exactly news that you know, someone like Hayward might want to end up in LA playing with LeBron, playing with Anthony Davis. He, he would fit that team really nicely. The funniest thing for me of this whole situation is how the person in the tweet is complaining about Miles Turner and Anthony Davis being made of glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that There's a lot of to... irony in that. There's a lot. <laughs> and they're, they're literally being like, we need to trade for Gordon Hayward. We can't, we can't have Miles Turner and Anthony Davis. Um, so I, I just thought that shows that this person, maybe whoever tweeted this has not been quite, quite paying as much attention, although it is sneaky that I think Miles Turner has played slightly less games than Gordon Hayward over Mm -hmm. the last two years and has already missed time this year after spraining an ankle on a warm up ball boy or a ball sweeper. Have you ever seen the show Curb Your Enthusiasm? I have not. So there's an episode where Shaquille O'Neal is like a guest star. Curb is your enthusiasm is basically just like a fictionalized version of reality. Like everyone in it just plays themselves. Uh, so Shaq is like running uh, to get up off the Lakers bench. And Larry David, the, the star of the show, has his feet out sitting courtside and he trips Shaq and hurts him. Like that literally happened to Miles Turner in real life. Like a, a TV scene or a scene from a TV show. Live, played out in real life and miles turner got hurt by uh, i think it was somebody on like the baseline though instead of um i've like not seen the video or, i just read the report i, did, I, I didn't I, yeah i read it too i didn't, didn't see like a clip of it attached when i saw like the the news about it but yeah that that is like the most uh unfortunate unlucky injury that you can Im- imagine on a basketball court basically so yeah so to recap if it was gordon 
Not great luck, but likelihood of it being Gordon, what, what percentage are we giving this? I, I mean, I'm saying probably under 10, 15%. Would <laughs> yeah, you I was agree gonna, with I that? would say five to 10 would probably yeah. be my range there. So not something I think Hornets fans should, should really be worried about right now. Um, moving on to our next piece of news was Sam Sterania, who interestingly had a, a, a quote about the Hornets and Terry Rozier being kind of like the feature quote, really, for an article uh, last week. Uh, and to, to read the excerpt from Sham's piece in The Athletic, it said, Charlotte's Terry Rozier has emerged as a trade target for the Lakers in the offseason, and their interest in him remains high. Multiple sources tell The Athletic the Lakers and Hornets held discussions about a possible three or four-team trade during the summer and hold him in high regard among their possible trade possibilities. But the dynamic Hornets guard's availability will entirely be predicated on the franchise's direction for the future and its play as the season goes on. Um, so essentially what, to translate that, if you didn't quite follow, the Lakers really like Terry's ear, but the Hornets don't want to trade him unless this season goes south and maybe they would then entertain them. Um, I, I mean, I think for me, I, I can understand why the Lakers are interested in Terry's ear. Um, he fits perfectly around Anthony Davis and LeBron as like an off-ball shooter, but also a creator. He's a good competitor. He's a vet who's played well in the playoffs before when he's got there. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Lakers. And they are a team that are really struggling right now. I, I still don't think Terry Rozier you know, solves their, their problem and they become a Western Conference contender. But but I can understand it. Um, the, the two picks, obviously two picks from Westbrook has been probably discussed more than any other trade package over the last six months in the NBA. But I guess, did this, did this catch your eye at all? Is this something that surprised you seeing this report at this stage of the season? Um. I mean, maybe just the timing of it is somewhat surprising. It's like, I guess it didn't just completely surface out of nowhere. But part of me is like, this is almost like a, like, a, like a, it's not a non, it basically is a non-update actually. Cause he, ba- he said their interest in him remains high. And then it, it was first surfaced in the off season. It's like, of course, they're still interested in Terry Rozier. The Lakers still aren't good. Well, like, did it first service in the offseason? Like, I, I don't remember seeing a verified report from Wadja Shams that the Lakers held Terry Rozier as a, as a, a high-priority target. Well, the, the I, I, I know wording fans... says that he emerged as a trade target for the Lakers in the offseason and their interest in him remains high. I, I don't know. You're, you're right that I don't think there was, like, I don't think we knew that tweet. Yeah. But it might, I think it's just because like the only players that they can trade for Russ are Terry Rozier or Gordon Hayward, basically. So yeah. it was like one of, it was, it was always going to be one of those two players. Well, but the fans, the fans in the trade machine, you know, had already thrown Terry Rozier and every Russell Westbrook trade, you know, combination there is possible over the oh, summer. Yeah. But I don't think we'd seen a report anywhere that, that the, yeah, Rozier was a guy the Lakers particularly looked at. I mean, I think what was interesting in there is that that over the offseason, the Hornets looked at three and four team trades uh, for Terrazier, which almost kind of suggests that the Hornets maybe wouldn't be taking Westbrook back in this potential kind of deal structure. Because if it was, it wouldn't need to be a three and four team trade. You could probably find ways to get there with Rozier and another salary, whether that's Ubre, whether that's Plumley. Um, so the fact that they were talking about three and four team trades. To me, maybe sends an idea that if if the Hornets were to do this at some point again, and the article even says like, depending on the Hornets' future, if, if things went poorly, um, that I don't know if it would be Westbrook necessarily coming back to Charlotte, like many people might assume in this kind of deal. No, I definitely I don't think so either. The framework of these types of things is like not ever nearly as concrete as they are they are when they're floated around on social media and stuff like that but i I did some sleuthing also while we were just talking and there i i did find a report from september 16th um uh, sam amick and joven buha it's not nearly as like concrete as like a full paragraph detailing why and how terry rozier is a trade target but it's uh it says that there was a uh, one preliminary iteration of a four-team deal would have had Boyan Bogdanovich, who is now on the Pistons, but at the time was on the Jazz, um, and Terry Rozier going back to Los Angeles, which was a, the 14 mm-hmm. trade would have been Utah, 
New York and Charlotte uh, and the Lakers because, or which I imagine would have been a Donovan Mitchell trade with a whole bunch of other stuff thrown in there when mm. he was presumed to be going to the Knicks at the time. But um, yeah, it's, I, I don't, I don't think it's like the Hornets necessarily are turning the wheels on this any more than they have been. It's, I would imagine that the Lakers are really, really putting out all of the press that they can possibly get about themselves trying to make a move because they clearly need to do that um, sooner than later if they're going to maximize the window they have. I, I will say the only thing that still I can't shake out my head is Michael Jordan is very well reported to have a strong ties to Russell Westbrook. Um, Russell Westbrook is a big Jordan brand athlete. Uh, Jordan has made comments before, I believe, that he views Westbrook as like one of the few guys in the league who has a mentality similar to himself when he played. Um, and they've, they've, they've done some kind of combination and works together before. Like if, if you Google Michael Jordan, Russell Westbrook, you'll find a lot of stuff there that you go, these guys have a established relationship. Um, so that that's still just something that pecks away in the back of my head that even though it doesn't quite make sense here, um, it's something to be aware of, but, but like, I think especially with like Lamelo ball having this grade two sprain, um, although, you know, he seems to be moving around. Okay. When you see him in pregame warmups and on the bench, but with that, you know, it doesn't feel like this is something that's going to emerge until again, like to the trade deadline. And the fact that it's been reported now feels like it's, almost dormant enough that people feel like they can, they can mention it. They can report it. Um, I, the interesting thing is if, if they do go, things don't go right this season and Charlotte, do you want to move Rozier? It's, it's not like he's on an expiring and he'd go at the end of the season. He's still here for like another four years after this. So I, it also doesn't really seem to make sense that, okay, let's say this one season doesn't go great, which we know some reasons why it might not why you would then feel the need to move Rozier at that moment also doesn't quite add up to me unless it's part of a, a like a, a rebuild. Not, you know, not saying that I necessarily disagree with it because, it, but they've already got that financial flexibility now going forward with Hayward with not signing bridges. As far as we know, um, in the next two off seasons, they looked to have that financial flexibility for almost max cap space both years. So, so moving on from Rozier now doesn't necessarily help them as much as it might have looked like it would have done uh, before the Miles Bridges situation. Okay. Well, I think that's everything for today's episode. Um, sorry it took us uh, a little bit of time here from the start of the season to get our first podcast along the way, but we didn't want to overreact too much. Chase has been working at you know, G League main media day. I've been on holiday, on vacation myself. Um, we've, we've had a lot going on, but it was good to get back together, talk about some of our uh, drafts, some of our overreactions, touch on a couple of these interesting news pieces. And we'll have more in the next week or so on uh, how the Hornets are getting on. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys.